Hello, it's Charlie. Um, this is the podcast to Helen Back. It is the 23rd of January. I think this is podcast number 40. I've been off from this for a couple weeks, and we're taking on a new subject. Um, today, relationship hell. How do people get, uh, how do people get through? What kind of skills can you bring to bear on uh, really bad or not so bad, but difficult relationship situations? Um, this follows having spent many weeks talking about three other sets of skills that come from DBT, the mindfulness skills, the distress tolerance skills, and the emotion regulation skills. And so now we're moving on to very explicitly what do you do in relationships um, to ask for what you want and get it, uh, to preserve relationships while you do that, and to uh, preserve your self-respect while you do that. And, and how do you say no to people that are putting requests on you that you'd prefer not to have um, and accomplish that and preserve relationships and preserve your self-respect? It's, it's complicated stuff, a great set of skills, and um, I want to lead into them for a little bit um, because uh, they don't sit by themselves out in the world of dealing with relationships. And I'll tell you what I mean in a minute. But just think about it. I mean, relationships now, this is the first time we've focused on a, set, a module that explicitly talks about dealing with relationships, even though all of the other modules um, bear on how we deal with relationships, as I'll get into in a minute. But, you know, we're really talking here about how do you ask for somebody to change? How do you stop somebody from asking you for something um, effectively and uh, and um, keep yourself uh, intact. So um, there's so many such situations, and it's so complicated, right? Because we do um, relationships are often the source of our greatest joy uh, and our greatest meaning, but they're also uh, the authors of our greatest misery in many cases. So um, the kind of misery I'm talking about, the kind of relationship how I'm talking about, is so varied that it's impossible to encompass all of it in a few lines or statements. But um, I'm talking about, for instance, maybe you've had a close relationship uh, where, and it's long-term, and it's going on the surface somewhat okay, but right under the surface is a level of tension that could explode at any moment if the wrong word is said or the wrong mood comes into the room or a stressful thing happens. And it's something that can't be ignored, and you walk on eggshells, and it can't be approached, or it'll explode. So what do you do? How do you ask that other person to change? How do you get yourself to live with that? Uh, or maybe it's a, a close relationship that you've had, again, a long-term one in which one person wants more closeness and affection, and the other one doesn't. The other one wants to live in a more solitary, self-sufficient way, uh, directed not so relationally, but wants to be in a relationship that can be painfully lonely for the person who wants it and the, and the other person could feel intruded upon all the time. And that becomes a pattern. Or maybe it's a, a, in a family relationship where you're concerned about your child or your parent or your brother or sister or your spouse or your partner 
Um, and you're concerned because the other person is in one way or another not taking good care of himself or herself, um, maybe through medical issues, health issues, substance issues, uh, not working, uh, showing low motivation. Maybe your child is dropping out of things and you don't know what to do um, because any comments are unwelcome. Um, and so, you know, what do you do in these situations? Again, all, all of these situations are relationship situations in which there's a lot of difficulty. Um, uh, then there's other kinds of relationships, like just relationships at work, people you see during the day, people who are not your primary people, but actually it can be really difficult because they might be frustrating, they might be critical, uh, they might be harsh, it might be hard to know what to do. Um, maybe you're a teenager or that wants to be included in a group uh, at school, but the group doesn't uh, include you. Um, how do you approach that? Um, maybe uh, one person is seeking a friendship, um, but uh, with each new possibility, something comes up. It just doesn't work, and then and then the person, uh, the other person, seems uninterested. Uh, or the other person seems too interested. Um, it's all about balance. It's all about maintaining yourself in the self-other situation where you uh, still feel like you're okay and the other person is okay and the relationship is going along. Even if it's a brief relationship with a, a waitress or a waiter, at a, with a, a clerk, with an encounter on the street. Um, so we're really talking about all kinds of relationship situations and the dilemma is as i stated it before that we need relationships in so many ways and we form relationships and we live in relationships our that's what makes our life worthwhile in many ways and 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 relationships can be so hard they require tending they require a lot of tolerance and a lot of solving things so um so it's just a uh a dilemma. It's been called the need-fear dilemma at times. Um, now, every form of therapy, every form of self-help approach, every form of religion, every family is loaded with uh, models and suggestions and patterns for how to be in relationships, what to do, how to navigate the rough waters. Um, and uh, some of those work better than others for a given individual. DBT has within it several approaches to relationship challenges or challenging relationships. I mean, uh, such as how to tolerate them, how to tolerate challenges in a relationship temporarily without doing things that will make things worse, how to radically accept what's going on in a relationship, how to cope with emotions that are elicited by a relationship and have to be managed in the context of a relationship, how to solve the problems in a relationship, you know, and then when you get into the specific skills module that we're going to get into called interpersonal effectiveness and what the skills are there, DBT presents a set of skills that, are, that combine several different approaches. It's a really, really neat protocol, step-by-step, a set of guidelines um, that I've used a thousand times and, and people around the world with DBT uh, have found it helpful. And... Um, because it's so well-defined, it can seem and it can be applied in a way that's too simple, too superficial, you know, too much of a, of a thin kind of protocol. Um, 
Whereas, in fact, a deeper understanding of this set of skills um, makes it clear that this, this so-called protocol is based on deeper and, and uh, significant approaches to other human beings. Woven within these skill sets are, are social skills, you know, skills for um, being in a relationship or reading other people, being attuned, um, uh, making eye contact, uh, speaking in a certain way, sitting in a certain way, uh, just handling the basics of, of socializing. And then also within this package is relational mindfulness, which is really, we'll get more into, but how to be mindful of relationships and mindful of yourself in relation to the other and the other in relation to you and using the mindfulness skills we've already talked about. And then finally, and a, and a significant chunk of these skills are based on assertiveness training, how to assert yourself to get what you want or to say no. So, so let's, let's dive in. Uh, I want to go over these skills. I think it's going to take about three weeks um, now, next week and the following week, or three weeks in a row. I'm going to focus on this. Um, and um, I want to hopefully talk about how to apply them in a variety of simple and not so simple relationship situations. So for purposes of illustration, I was thinking of using an example to talk about this. Um, the example is going to be my relationship to you and your relationship to me. It's an unusual relationship. It's kind of an odd relationship. I never see you. You never see me. Um, I mean, within the podcast. And I talk for an hour uh, without knowing how it's working for you um, and without you knowing how it's working for me. Um, so that right off the bat is a strange way to have a relationship. Um, you listen to me, um, but I, uh, uh, but I don't, but, but when you listen to me, you don't intervene and have an impact in real time. So you're just listening. It's one long listen. And occasionally I receive an email from you to comment on things I've said. And then when I get that, I usually can respond in, in, in an email. And also I sometimes and often respond in a future podcast because it brings up really interesting points. Um, so it's kind of like this rarefied situation. It reminds me a little of a story I heard about a convent that observes a vow of silence all year. And then once a year in a meeting that lasts a, just a short time, there's an allowance of verbal exchanges. So one year, after a year of silence, one nun stood up and said, the mush is too cold. And of course, there was no response. And then one year later, after a year of silence, a different nun stood up and said, the mush is too hot. And again, no response. And then one year later, a third nurse stands up and says, stop your bickering. <laughs> and on it goes, year by year, and on it goes, podcast by podcast, that I speak and you listen. So what would I like to change about our predicament? Because this module of skills is all about changing a relationship. 
So notice that already, even in preparation for addressing you, um, I'm, a, I'm using a lot of, uh, I'm using a set of skills from DBT that I've talked about before, mindfulness skills. I'm, I'm, I think you can tell um, to whatever degree I am, I am mindful of our relationship. I am observing and describing the situation. I'm observing and describing your responses and my responses to your responses. I'm keeping in mind your mind and my mind and our minds in relation to each other as I speak, which, you know, in another model of treatment is called mentalization. And by accurately describing the situation and your behavior and my behavior, uh, and I could go further and even accurately describe my thoughts and my feelings, I am using the uh, mindfulness skill of describing things factually, objectively, without judgment. So I'm using skills of observing and describing and remaining non-judgmental, trying to be effective and focusing entirely on the situation as it is right now, not getting ahead of myself and not editorializing. So all of that is just sort of trying to come to terms with seeing reality as it is. So be heading into a relationship dilemma in order to have a conversation, it really helps to use mindfulness skills just to get your mind in order and to become present with what really is rather than what you wish would be or you think should be. And there's also the mindfulness skill of participating by fully immersing myself in the podcast, you know, by by really just reducing my temptations to an inhibit my comments, to script my comments, to block my comments. It's somewhat improvisational and flowing, and I try to be in it, and I try to be in it with you in mind, um, as I imagine you to be, uh, which is the best I can do in, with this format. And for one hour, I participate and try to participate non-judgmentally and fully in this situation. Um, all of this sets the stage for a relationship encounter if I want to have one with you, a, a, a different kind of one. Um, you know, that's true also in any situation. Somebody you're just going to have a conversation with over breakfast uh, or somebody you're going to have a very challenging conversation with, that if you use mindfulness in advance and throughout the conversation to the degree possible, uh, you're just likely to be more present and, 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 and more effective. So really, mindfulness is a huge relationship skill. Um, it brings us into the present moment. It brings us into being present in a large way, which is then sensed by the other person. And we respond to what is real rather than what we wish were real. And we're best off, no matter how difficult things are, to begin there, and we'll probably get thrown off of that time and time again, and then we'll need to come back time and time uh, again. Um, let's consider a different situation than the one between you and me as we go along in parallel as a different kind of example. Let's say someone is uh, really struggling. Let's say a young woman is, who's had a difficult history is really struggling with anxiety, with panic. And, and, and she's had some losses recently, 
and she fears being alone, living alone. It's just terrible for her. And that person knows another person, a young man, a former boyfriend, who's now a friend. And she wants to ask him to move in with her for a period of time, maybe a month or so, so that she can feel less alone, more supported, and uh, try to get herself more stable. Uh, so it's a, a temporary ask. Uh, but at the same time, it's complicated because she doesn't want to rekindle a romantic relationship with him at all. Uh, and yet she's the one who broke off the relationship. So she might also begin with mindfulness of her own situation, mindfulness of his situation, and mindfulness of the current nature of their relationship, and just try to settle into what's actually true about all of those things. Um, and because, which will be hard because you get buffeted by fear, panic, uh, expectations, uh, worries, and so on. So it means kind of settling into what's the reality of the situation. You know, and it's, but it is a skillful start if you can preview the whole thing that's facing you, whatever that be. And I hope you'll think of ones of your own, which, which requires mindfulness and a non-judgmental stance. So, um, my first huge point in today, uh, and talk about interpersonal skills is that interpersonal effectiveness skills are dependent on mindfulness skills. They aren't to the exclusion of mindfulness skills. They aren't separate from them. They're absolutely interpenetrating mindfulness skills and relationship skills. Um, not just to begin a conversation, not just to make a request, but mindfulness skills to return to again and again to help remain yourself and remain in touch with reality uh, in the context of relationship situations. You know, I would have to say that sometimes when I talk with you, all of you who are listening, I forget you. You know, I get caught up in some tangent or some sort of distraction. Uh, even today so far, three or four times, I've had one of my dogs has wanted to come in and out of this room. I then go open the door, close the door, open the door, close the door, so, so she doesn't sit outside whining or, or barking or something like that. So that throws me off. And other times I just get caught up in a topic. I'm thinking about something. My mind goes there. To the degree that I lose contact with you in my mind, I am losing mindfulness with you, mindfulness of you and your likely responses to me. And I'm more likely to go astray. I'm more likely to veer off and not be talking directly to you. I stop reading you. And maybe you notice. Maybe you don't notice. It depends. And, and maybe at those times, uh, suddenly it hits me, oh, yeah, oh, these guys are listening, maybe, whoever it is. It's such a weird situation. But I, and then I become mindfully aware of you again, of us again, and I steer back into speaking mindfully, coming from a relationship, you might say a relational wise mind, uh, where I'm talking to us. So again, um, think of it this way that that mind, being mindful during relationship encounters it's helpful if those mindfulness skills are always in the background are always just right there are fertilizing your conversation whatever it is and it's a huge and crucial relationship skill um, that is uh, mentioned here and there in the relationship skills but 
I'm starting with it because it makes such a big influence on everything else. But it's not enough by itself, I think. So point number two, um, effective relationship encounters also are influenced by and dependent on the skills that you find in DBT's Distress Tolerance module. There's two components in that module. If you listen to my podcasts or if you already know these skills, you know what I'm talking about. There's a component called reality acceptance and another one called crisis survival. Reality acceptance is hugely important here, right? Reality acceptance is that we're at our most effective in relationships if we actually recognize reality of what's going on, that we don't live in an illusion about the other person that then crashes up against the reality at a certain point and is a big surprise, you know, that you see the possibilities and you see the constraints and limitations. You see where there are mismatches between you and the other person and that that's just a fact. And you might be able to do something about that and sometimes you can't do very much. And and so you really want to see the reality of the relationship and not just see it, but also to the degree possible accept it not meaning approve of it, not meaning agree with it, but accept that it is what it is. So much of relationship hell comes about exactly related to this point because one person has a very unrealistic or even somewhat unrealistic image of the other person. One person has a set of wishes or uh, hopes or expectations or desires in relation to the other person that come from within and maybe come from the past, but are not truly a match with who the other person is. And it can be painful, but to recognize the reality of it opens up more possibility for relationship uh, solutions. I'll give you an example from many, many years ago. I was seeing uh, a woman in therapy and she was insisting, she was very disappointed that her husband was not more emotionally conversant not an unusual issue. But she she would ask him, how do you feel about that? And he'd say, well, fine. What do you mean, how do I feel about it? Well, well, I mean, are you conflicted at all about what we should do about this or that with our son or with, with our lives? Well, no, why don't we just do this or do that? In other words, he, he's somebody who functioned very smoothly in the world, was very effective in the world, who had friendships, and, and was a was a very good husband and father in many ways, but she was very disappointed that he wasn't kind of like a, a, an, an emotional, social, relational partner of the kind she wanted. And she really wanted, and not only did she want that, she thought that's the way a person should be. She thought that if somebody wasn't talking about their feelings and things the way that she did or something like that, that it was frightening. Who knows what's going on down in there? And she used to use a metaphor saying that you know, she's always trying to get him to lift up the hood uh, of his vehicle, so to speak, and see what's going on inside and express that and let her understand that too. And he just wouldn't do that. He, I didn't think he could do that when I met him a couple of times. I thought he was a certain kind of person that just didn't function that way. And she tried and tried, and it led to really a huge amount of suffering on her part. And one day I asked her, I said, is it possible? This was the beginning of actually raising the question of using reality acceptance in this relationship. I asked her if it was possible that there's 
not only nothing under the hood, but there's not really a hood. That there's not even a hood. And so she was really going after something that wasn't even present. And she said, oh my God, that would be terrible. What do you mean? I said, no, it wouldn't be terrible. He might function in a different way. But it might might be good to see if that's the case. So you kind of know what you can hope for and expect and, and where things are at. And it did move things in a better direction, but, but she had to give up uh, her image of what she wanted him to be to some degree. And that turns out he was more that way than, than she really thought, but she hadn't been seeing that. Um, okay, I'm, I think you get the point. Um, you know, you just have to watch out, uh, especially when you're highly emotional about somebody, whether positively or negatively, that it's very easy to misread and to project onto them things that are not real about them. Uh, you know, and then reality comes in and uh, it's different than what you thought. So if you can see it that way. So reality acceptance skills, which I've taught you before in one of the earlier podcasts, the skills of uh, radical acceptance of reality as it is, of turning the mind towards repeatedly seeing reality, uh, of being willing, using willingness, willingness to see the nature of the reality around you in such a way that you can um, play by the rules in a way that helps you accomplish more. So, for instance, being willing to see her husband as maybe not having the kind of hood she's talking about. Um, using willing hands as a physical way to find help yourself adopt a more accepting attitude towards your partner or your friend. Um, using half-smile in the same way to develop a more accepting attitude. Uh, letting your thoughts come and go like waves in the ocean, just noticing thoughts coming and going and not getting so attached to the thoughts so you can you can let go of some of those and just sort of keep coming back to reality as it is. This is just a huge skill. So mindfulness skills, reality acceptance skills help set the stage for more realistic encounters and for less suffering. Uh, they sometimes lead to disappointment on the way. Um, what about, for instance, the young woman I was talking about, the one who wants the guy to move in with her uh, and help her battle uh, being alone? Well, she's going to be better off if she can recognize uh, and accept the reality about him that he may be willing to be there. But she needs to be asking herself, how's it going to work if he wants something in return that I don't want to give him? Um, this might be the case wouldn't be surprising if it was the case. Can she see this? Can she accept that this might be the case and therefore come up with a different plan or proceed skillfully to address it in advance um, in some way with him so that there aren't uh, unstated expectations? So reality acceptance doesn't have to mean that she uh, would agree with the reality in front of her about him. Uh, or go along with it, but it, it might help her if she sees it to be more effective in talking with him about what to do. Um, 
So um, let's move on then, still within the how the distress tolerance skills are necessary uh, in the background of good relationship challenging situations of, of dealing with them. You know, what about those moments when our levels of distress in relation to the other person we're talking about is very high and uh, in such a way that we're driven down a road uh, towards problematic relationship behaviors, uh, towards becoming more harsh with a person or more judgmental, uh, more demanding, more mean even, intolerant. Um, Or maybe we're pushed down the road by our distress to withdraw from the person, to avoid, to retreat, to hide out, to run away, even though we really wish we could get some needs met with this person. Uh, Or maybe we stay in the relationship, but our distress goes down the road of us becoming more anxious or more depressed or more panicky, more terror-stricken, maybe even dissociating sometimes that those become kind of symptomatic expressions of uh, I can't get in this, I can't move on with this, and I can't get out of this. Um, Or maybe it's to retreat into mind-altering, relationship-altering behaviors like addictions to substances or, or, or addictions to work or to exercise or addictions to technology, things that help sort of... Um, uh, help get through moments, but actually at the same time might be inflicting damage on uh, ourselves as a, uh, in a, in a relationship or on the relationship itself. So if we can see, though, if we have on board the skills and the recognition and the mindfulness that we know we're in high distress and we, and we're heading down one of those roads and we want to not head down one of those roads and do harm to the relationship, then then the crisis survival strategies or skills that also are part of this module are very helpful to have on board. They can save the day. They can help us not damage your relationship, even though we go through distress. You know, um, to skillfully use distraction is one. One of the one of the six crisis survival strategies is distraction with so many ways. So. If we know that it's time to take a break from an argument that seems perpetual, a discussion that is just wearing out both people, that it's time to take a walk, it's time to do an activity, it's time to listen to some music or to read something or write something or call somebody or do something else, just something else to distract because what can really become damaging is where we can't get out of a perpetual discussion that actually isn't getting anywhere. And it's very amazingly hard to break out of that. Um, Or to skillfully use another set of skills here in in crisis survival strategies, self-soothing things to do, to calm down, uh, to chill out, uh, to bring those sort of fight-flight nervous system uh, down a notch or two to soothe yourself rather than just storming ahead. Same idea as distracting, except it would be distracting by doing things that help help with soothing. Maybe it's time to stop and have a kind of soothing cup of tea or something else or to listen to something soothing or, or to hang out with your pet for a while because you find it soothing or something like that. Then there's the skills that we've talked about before called tip 
skills where you're using, uh, I'm not going to go back over them now, but, but you're using temperature, cold temperature on your face to bring down extreme emotions uh, or intense exercise to, to change your emotions or paced breathing to calm yourself down or progressive relaxation, um, that all of these can be, help you come down from extreme feelings that are coming up in the midst of a relationship situation. And that, are, and that if you don't do something about them, they just will impact the situation. You know, it, it turns out that it's really, this is like a basic principle about relationships and distress or relationships and emotions, is sometimes we have a relationship problem to, to solve. I mean, if you're in a relationship, you almost always have a relationship problem to solve. And at the same time, we have an emotional, emotional problem to solve, you might say. We're, you know, we're going off the rails emotionally. And what can really make things go worse is if we try to solve the two together. Like in the relationship, we try to solve the problems of, uh, of the emotions. We sort of drag the relationship through the problem of emotions, whereas it can be really helpful but require you know, real presence of mind and discipline to decide, you know what, I better take care of these emotions before I go further in trying to deal with this relationship problem because I can't take on both at once. I just remember when I realized that at a certain point in my life, it was really helpful. I I won't go over where I learned it because it'll just take time. It's a little story. But I I just, I learned, it, it sort of occurred to me and it sort of has stuck with me. Now, solve your emotions Bring down your anger before you deal with your anger towards someone else. Bring down some of your other feelings. If possible, find ways to regulate them. DBT has a lot of ways to, to help bring them down. Um, and then deal with the relationship problem. Separate the two temporarily. Um, so we also can use pros and cons uh, as skills to decide ahead of time whether we should go ahead if we're thinking of criticizing our child, our, our spouse, our partner, our parent, our friend, where it feels kind of supercharged and loaded, and we're not sure what to do, but it can be helpful just to stop and make this uh, go over the pros and cons of charging ahead into a criticism, an attack, uh, a conversation at a difficult moment, uh, versus... Um, restraining yourself and waiting a while and using some other skills personally to handle something. To do the pros and cons there can help you make a wise choice before it's too late and you've already done some damage. And to use the improve skills or improve the moment skills using in various ways imagery or finding meaning or praying for tolerance within the relationship, uh, relaxing, being one mindful, all all these improve the moment skills that you could go back over. So, 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 so. You've got these these kind of crisis survival skills that can really be helpful. So I realize that what's just happening right now between me and you is that I'm kind of reviewing the skills I've already covered. Um, but I see no other way, in a way, if you just jump right into the so-called interpersonal skills, they sound like such a thin skills package. Um, but actually, I want you to understand, they grow right out of these, and they depend on these. And if you don't have these other things going for you, um, you know, a lot gets, gets uh, um, 
buried in the relationship. The, the relationship is uh, becomes very loaded with emotion regulation problems. It becomes loaded with distress tolerance problems. It, it becomes loaded with the lack of mindfulness, and it's very hard to solve things even with these wonderful skill set. Um, so, 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 let's go back to our hypothetical young woman now. Um, though, let me say all through this example that this could be a man, a young man, who wants another man or a woman to move in to help him deal with his terror and his loneliness. But so, in order to be as effective as possible. This person, um, in getting what she needs from the other person without getting what she doesn't want, she's going to be in a far better position if she has a, a kind of a plan and has the skills to execute it for when her distress goes up so that she doesn't sort of collapse into problematic relationship behaviors when the distress goes up and sort of car- carry it into the relationship in a way that's going to make it hard for her to preserve the original intent of having somebody move in. So having somebody move in is easy. He can't just be her crisis plan, her rescuer. She has to have other things or else it's going to put too much weight on that relationship. So that's why in those situations it's so so critical. Um, now, there's one more set of skills and it's equally needed, the emotion regulation skills. You know, I need ways not just to skillfully tolerate my emotional distress. I need ways to relate to my emotions as they come up and as they come up and go down to allow them to be and to be with me while I'm in a relationship and and have ways to change them and not only to tolerate the distress of them, but to actually have them without so much incredible suffering. Um, but to feel things, to feel disappointment, to feel excitement, to feel uh, shame, to feel fear, um, and yet to work with them, in a, have a relationship with those that goes uh, past just being superficial to the degree that we can have a comfortable or more comfortable relationship with our emotions can probably have a more comfortable relationship with another person. So let's say in my relationship with you that one of you criticizes me or judges me or attacks me in an email for things I've said. I do worry about those things sometimes after I say certain things. You might hurt my feelings. You might make me feel ashamed or guilty uh, or resentful or angry. Now what? You know, ideally, I start by just observing my emotional response um, as a thing in itself. I describe it to myself. I observe it. I describe it. I try to see it without judgment. I try to see, yes, objectively, there is this reaction in me. I am having this emotion. Rather than thinking I am this emotion or I'm taken over by this emotion, I see that emotions can come and go in me, can pass through me, that that allow me to stay in contact with you and allow me to come back to you with a follow-up comment or question or inquiry rather than just have everything shut down because I don't know what to do with the emotion. You know, it's just such a killer of relationship possibilities. You know, maybe I listen to my emotion better. I figure I might figure out, you know, what's the point of this emotion? What's the function of this emotion? Which is something that came up in talking about emotion regulation skills. Maybe I deliberately try to activate some positive emotions in me or between us in order to enhance my resilience in the face of negative emotions. 
you know, maybe I'm helped by checking the facts of a situation to see whether the reality of the situation justifies my emotion. Maybe I, maybe it's out of proportion. Maybe it's out of control. It's just out of sync with with reality. I just had to. I just followed an email thread recently, this week, where somebody um, responded to an email and they addressed the other person, but they didn't include me as one of the people they were addressing. But I was included in the email, and I instantly felt, why did they omit me? Why am I not addressed in the email, yet they're talking about something that's relevant to me, too? And then I thought, oh, my God, what's going on? And I, I quickly fabricated a story that had some points of reality from the past and made me feel like, oh, no. And this is what gets going with emails and texts and things, because you don't, you don't have the other person there, and you, you can't see what they were look, looking like or um, sounding like even. So, you know, I lived with that for a while until I decided, you know, I've got to write an email. I tried to write a skillful email to use some of the skills that I'm moving towards. And, um, and, and, and then I, and I asked the person, I said, you know, I tried to be very just inquiring and, and acknowledging my vulnerability and saying, I don't know whether you intended this or not, but I, I, I ended up feeling this way. So I just wanted to check this out with you. I'm glad I did it because, you know, within a few hours, I got an email back saying, oh, my God, I had no intention. Here's the reason I wrote, didn't include your name on this. It was an oversight, blah, blah, blah. And I think, you know, I believed it. <laughs> I could have been wrong, but I believed it. Um, and so, you know, uh, when you check the facts of a situation, you you start to have an idea, wait, is this in proportion with the facts, maybe I should try to solve the problem that caused this emotion. Or is this out of proportion? Maybe I should check this out, check the facts. Or maybe I should even um, figure out if I should be using the skill of acting opposite to go ahead and approach, a, a, approach something uh, and, and desensitize myself to some of my emotions because they're actually out of proportion with reality. I hope you understood that, but you, you would if you listen to the other podcast or if you've been over these before. Um, maybe I recognize that uh, the way I'm being with you, uh, not so, maybe, maybe I'm being not so alert, uh, not so present, maybe I'm being too irritable, too sensitive, too intolerant, too impulsive. Maybe that's a result of not taking care of myself. So that's another emotion regulation skill. It, you know, obviously, when we don't take care of our sleep, our nutrition, our exercise, our use of substances, our general health, self-care, um, then we are much more vulnerable. And so it's going to be harder to wade into a relationship problem and solve it. I mean, it might be that you should get yourself in better shape, so to speak, more balanced uh, in order to take on certain difficult things because Otherwise, you're just going to fall into an intense emotional reactivity so easily. Um, back to the woman who's asking the friend to move in. The emotion regulation skills, when asking him um, to move in with certain expectations and to use them after he does move in or doesn't move in would be very helpful for this person, make her more interpersonally skillful. If she can experience her emotions 
of uh, worry, fear, anxiety, disappointment, embarrassment, as they rise and fall, uh, and have a number of ways to cope with them, to live with them, to transform them, she can be more clear and consistent with him in getting her needs met and standing up for herself. Otherwise, it just kind of all gets buried under emotional dysregulation. Um, so if emotions are driving her interpersonal decisions, it's a more hazardous ride. Um, okay. Now, to be on point, um, to be effective in a relationship is far from just knowing and using relationship skills as taught in DBT. They depend on all of these other skill sets. Now, moving into these skills, it's an amazing package, and we need all of them uh, to be uh, most skillful in relationships. And if you've already got them, you've already got them. I mean, one of the big fallacies in people's lives, most of us, is that when things don't go well in relationships, that we either blame ourselves, and some people tend to do that most of the time, or we blame the other person, and some people tend to do that most of the time. Um, but in fact, it's very common that problems in relationships not only flow from these other three sets of uh, skills or skills deficits, but they flow from um, uh, not having the skills to navigate relationships and the skills to ask for what you want to hang in there in difficulty, the skills for saying no and hang in there in difficulty. If you don't have those skills because they were not taught to you, they were not demonstrated to you by the people with whom you grew up or with anyone else, you know, why would you know what to do? Um, then some people have a lot of these skills, don't need any of this course, uh, though I think everybody benefits from these, going over these, but, um, but um, if you didn't have these as part of your you know, if you didn't have the lucky break of getting these growing up, um, these can be really helpful, really big time. Um, so, 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 let me just say. So now we're going to formally go into the uh, formal package of these skills. And, um, and I've said some things about them. Um, you know, like I say, they bring together assertiveness skills and and other uh, and social skills and uh, mindfulness skills. Um, so, what do I want to tell you to lead into these? Um, I guess the best way to explain these is to begin, and this is how they how these skills begin. There's sort of an order of these, um, and they don't have to go in exactly this order, but it's the best way to think of them. I think the best way to figure them out and to use them, so that what you start with, and we could imagine I, what I start with in asking you to change your behavior, which I'm about to do. Uh, or that the hypothetical young person I was talking about, for her to ask this person to move in, but not to move in as a boyfriend. Um, to start out uh, identifying really what you want out of that encounter, that invitation, that ask, or that episode of saying no, like to get clear about that makes you just more effective. So let me start with you again. 
I am going to ask you for a change in your behavior. Probably this is going to bump into next week because I can see already it's about 10 more minutes. And I'm going to set this up. And then next week we're going to go through these specific skills in how I'm going to use them with you. But let's, let me forecast in advance uh, what I thought about asking you. I've noticed, I'm sure you've noticed, that if you think of our relationship as a relationship, that it's pretty one-sided, that I talk and you listen, uh, that I live without knowledge most of the time about how you respond, that I have to make that up in my own mind. And what I'm going to be asking you for in a certain way is more reciprocity, more responsiveness from you. And of course, whatever I ask, an ask doesn't mean that anyone needs to uh, go along with it. But I just I want to use this both as a as an example of teaching these skills and also uh, as a real thing in itself. You know, I could ask you for a particular change. I have to think in advance. What do I want to ask of you? And that is hugely important. Sometimes we ask somebody uh, to do something very general, and it 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 often doesn't go anywhere. I ask you to love me. I ask you to respect me. I ask you to like me. I ask you to honor me. I ask you to do something that's you know not very behaviorally rooted. But if I ask you for particular behavioral change, and if I use the skills that back it up. I have a better chance of getting something accomplished. So I, I may want to ask you, for instance, to email me your responses more frequently uh, each time you hear one of my podcasts so that I know at least after one hour, you know, what, what struck you? Um, what didn't strike you? What struck you negatively? But in fact, I'm not sure that that's the, the thing I want to ask specifically because I don't even know if that's the best method for getting more reciprocity here. I mean, maybe I should set up a way to make it easier for you to send your responses. Maybe a Facebook page, somebody said to me once. Um, maybe something on my website, uh, emphasizing that. Maybe a Twitter relationship of some kind, which I, I actually have a Twitter handle, but I never use it. Uh, but maybe I should. Um, I'm not sure what the best way to go. I lack knowledge in these technological areas. Um, or maybe um, um, maybe we should have an occasional open podcast discussion, some kind of in-person, online, either in-person where we have a To Hell and Back conference where I invite people to come um, and, 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 and do some of this together uh, or do it online, some kind of webinar type of format. I'm not sure. So here's what I, what I probably am going to want to ask of you to, is to give me suggestions about how to build our relationship out into a more reciprocal one that benefits both of us. Uh, now, that might not be what you're interested in. Uh, but let's say that's my uh, desire. Uh, and, of course, I want you thinking of what you want to ask of someone in your life. Uh, maybe you want to ask somebody to be more responsive to you somebody to be more reciprocal. Maybe you want to ask somebody to back down. Maybe you want to ask somebody to give you more help of a certain kind. Maybe you want to ask somebody to take more responsibility for chores and other things that they aren't doing. Maybe you want to ask somebody else to listen more closely to what you have to say. 
Um, maybe you want to ask somebody to be more affectionate with you or to actually leave you alone more. You know, so this is a model, a protocol uh, that could inform any of these situations. Okay, so step one in this is going to be to uh, straighten out my priorities in relation to you. And this is a brilliant formulation, I have to tell you. It seems very plain and ordinary, especially if you've taught it a lot or you've learned it before. It's actually just an incredibly helpful thing that Linehan put together, which is to realize that you might have three priorities when you're going to ask somebody to change something. You have an objective. That's one of your priorities. What do you want to see happen? What's the change you want to see? Second, there's a relationship priority. What do you want to have happen to the relationship? Um, sometimes, like in this case that I'm talking about you and me, sometimes the objective is itself focused on a change in the relationship. But whether it is or isn't, there's still ha you might have a goal of maintaining a good relationship and not putting a dent in it. And then you might have one a third priority, which is to maintain your self-respect and not put a dent in that by how you go about it. And ideally, you want to maintain all three of these things. You want to do, you want to get all three, the objective relationship and self-respect. Um, but sometimes you can't. And you have to figure out, it, it can be helpful if you know in advance, what is your highest priority? And where are you willing to bend? And what are you willing to sacrifice? And if you analyze this a little bit in advance, it can set up a much better encounter where you're more likely to get what you want or to get what your priorities really are. I would say in my case, with you, my first priority of the three, because this is the next thing you do, you want to prioritize among your priorities. I would probably put number one as my objective. I want you to respond to me with ideas on how to make our relationship more reciprocal, where there's more exchange going on of some kind, where we're working together and you're able to ask things and say things and I'm able to ask things and say things um, uh, rather than just talk into a phone. That's it. You know, it's important to be specific. And uh, so I, I am, when it gets down to this and then I'm going to use the model more, uh, I'm going to ask you for this. I would say of the three priorities, probably my second one, thinking about this, would be the priority on our relationship. I do not want my request of you to hurt our relationship in any way. Uh, I don't want it to cause you to back off. I don't want it to cause you to be uh, upset with me. Um, if anything, I'm trying to strengthen our relationship, and I don't want you put off by, by it. Um, and feel harassed by me. So um, that's my second priority is that. Uh, I'd like to get both of the first two. Third priority, my self-respect. As a result of how I approach you, I do not want to reduce my respect for myself in any way. If anything, I want to enhance my respect for myself. So there are skills. This is what's so cool about this module. There are now a set of skills for getting your objective, a set of skills for getting your for improving or maintaining a relationship, and a set of skills for improving or maintaining your self-respect. So this is uh, this is helpful um, way to break it down. 
will just finish by me commenting on our hypothetical dysregulated person asking the guy to move in with her. You know, assuming that she approaches this with already some degree of mindfulness, some degree of reality acceptance, some degree of distress tolerance skills and emotion regulation skills, how does she do step one? determine her priorities. Let's just hypothetically imagine. I mean, her objective is probably to get her friend to move in with her to provide support and companionship, but without any expectation of a romantic or reciprocal exchange of affection. Um, How to nail that down and get as specific as possible, because the more specific and clear you can get, the more likely you are to succeed. I'm imagining that her relationship priority would sound something like this, to ask for this from him in a way that the friendship remains intact, whatever happens, remains mutual, that, that these are people who care about each other, uh, that the relationship situation is not damaged, uh, that she wants to still be liked by him and to like him, but without returning to a romantic relationship and without breaking anything off. So that would be the relationship priority. And what might be her self-respect priority? Well, um, she's in a pretty compromised position by doing this. Uh, and it'd be very easy to somehow violate her own standards, her own values, uh, her own self-respect. And there's going to be ways we're going to look at this uh, next week. But uh, so she may have Uh, this objective, this relationship priority, and this self-respect priority. And then she has to sort out, like, what are the priorities among the priorities? You know, and I'm I'm imagining that that she would probably place, uh, uh, it'd be a tough one. This is where it really depends on the person. I could imagine it going a number of ways. And this is always complicated because you want to accomplish everything, but you have to be ready bottom line, what are you willing to sacrifice? It just helps you, as, as we'll learn next week when I go over these and starting from this as a starting point. Um, you know, so we've gone over what the three priorities are, specifying them as clearly as possible, specifying the order of importance of them if you did have to sacrifice any. So all of that is, is, uh, is setting yourself up for a good encounter. And then the next, uh, the next step is going to be to, um, to move ahead and start to think about and plan and script an encounter with somebody uh, where you want to address a problem with them or ask for some kind of change. And that's where we'll get into the specific skills, the dear man skills for getting your objective, the give, G-I-V-E skills for maintaining a good relationship and the um, fast FAST skills for maintaining self-respect. So uh, I realize a lot of this is preliminary, but I hope that there were some useful things in this. And next week, we're going to jump right into Dear Man Give Fast, how you apply, how I want to apply them with you, uh, how our hypothetical person would apply them with her hypothetical boy, former boyfriend, and how um, how to make this all work, uh, and, and what are the skills, how do you modify these skills if they aren't working right. Um, okay, so much to go in the next two weeks, but I hope this was off to a good start, and I look forward to talking to you next week. And even though I haven't directly 
yet approached you uh, with what I'm going to ask you. If anybody wants to head that off by responding to what seems to be my request, feel free. Okay. Oops. All right. I will talk to you next week. Bye.